Let's pray together. Father, it's only by your grace that you can change a life, you can change a heart, you can change a mind. And I pray that by your grace, as I begin to open my mouth and teach this morning for the next few moments, uh, Lord, that it would not just be my words or my wisdom, because that's a big waste of time, Lord, for any of us in here, Lord. It does not produce any type of change, long-lasting change, but only by your spirit coming to do a work in us will that produce change and motivate us to do anything good in your name. So I pray that you would come and do that, Lord, and that even as I begin to take this pulpit and have the privilege to teach in your name to your people this morning, Father, that uh, you would lay aside any arrogance or pride in me, Lord, and that you would come powerfully and speak boldly and truthfully to your people out of love and grace for them. So I thank you for this congregation of people here this morning, for gathering us here for this time and for what you want to accomplish in these next few moments, Lord. So give us ears to hear and eyes to see exactly what you want to communicate this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we get started, I've got to do this with you. This is my last Sunday with you. It has been an absolute joy to serve as one of the pastors in the life of this church for the last 18 months. And I need you to know specifically, Andover, uh, it's been a joy to, in the opportunities I've had to be able to stand before you and open up the scriptures with you and teach to you and have conversation with you and pray with you afterwards, it's been a joy to my heart to see how you've responded with such joy to the preached word week in and week out. And so my hope and prayer is that in my little bit of time that I've been here, that I've been able to partner with God and seeing more and more people draw closer to Jesus and do exactly what Jesus commissions and calls them to do. So it's been a blast. I appreciate you. I love you. I care about you and continue to pray for you from this time forth going forward. But enough of the sappy stuff, right? We got the sappy stuff out of the way, right? We got work to do. Matthew 28, and, and here's where I want to start with you this morning. Here's a fact about what we are doing here, and I want to speak primarily to church people. If you're new with us, welcome to Free Christian Church. Uh, I'm Brian, the pastor, for one more week here with you guys. Um, but hang tight with me for a minute, because I want to speak to the church minute. We're here, and what we're doing here this morning, as you walk down, I'm not sure if you realize this, but when we gather like this as the church, or we call FCC or any type of church home to us, uh, the church is comprised of the family, you call it the family of God, you could call it a covenant community of faith, uh, whatever, you, whatever you wind up calling the church, uh, the church is comprised of imperfect people. We've got imperfect people, just butts who are sitting on these seats, right, in these pews right now. We are just a bunch of imperfect people in this room, wired differently from all types of different backgrounds and cultures and all types of different traits and all different types of wirings and preferences and likes and dislikes. All of that is, is comprised in this room right now as we're doing what we're doing here this morning. And the one common thing that we have as the church is that we have been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the one thing that we have in common as we do this thing called church. Now, for some of us, again, the reality is that God saves wretches like us. And for the reality is this, that for some of us, uh, things were really bad. Things were really, really bad apart from the grace of God. For some of us, things weren't that bad. Maybe some of us grew up in church, we were good and moral, and, and we observed things, and, and, and God came and, and did a work in our lives. So for some of us, it was really bad. For some of us, it, was, it wasn't that bad. For some of us, um, 
we would laugh at the idea of donning the doors of a church apart from the grace of God. And for some of us, this would be me, some of us would, would have a fear or would feel guilty about the thought of entering a church. Even the thought, like, you'd want to enter a church, you'd want to seek change, you'd be looking for hope in some way, but you felt too unclean. You feel me on this? You felt guilty, you felt shamed, you felt like you didn't belong, you felt like you couldn't walk through the doors and sit through a service and look around and feel like everybody else had it all together, but you're the one who's really a mess. Right? Do you feel me on that? You tracking with me on that? Maybe some of you came from that type of background. Whatever it was, no matter where you were in life, the reality, Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, is that every human being, apart from the grace of God, is hostile to God, they're alienated from Him, and they do evil deeds in some way, shape, or form. And some of those evil deeds are very, very obvious in the bad things we do, and some of the evil deeds just are masked through religion and good morality sometimes. And this is the state of every human being, apart from the grace of God. But now, as the church, since we've been shown the patience of God by God, and we've been shown the grace of God by God, not only is our relationship healed with God now through the blood of Jesus Christ, but now this enables us to work on it together relationally. You feel me? So what I mean by that is because I've been shown patience and because I've been shown grace by God, I'm now free and I'm now in process to start trying to show you patience and trying to show you grace as I've been shown grace in the midst of our differences, in the midst of the fact that we're wired differently, we come from different backgrounds, different cultures, different neighborhoods, we have different likes, we have different dislikes. Our different backgrounds and cultures and life experiences, if we're not capable, or careful in the church, will make fists fly. We will collide at times over things. And if we're not careful, all of these differences that make up the imperfect church that Jesus is in the midst of and working in, if we're not careful, will make us collide and will fracture this thing. So we desperately need to make sure that Jesus remains the center of the church because he is the, the glue, the bond that keeps this thing together with all of the differences that comprise the church. So we desperately need him to be at the center of who we are and what we do. Or else, listen, you and I aren't going to be the countercultural, loving, serving community of faith that Jesus intends for us to be. That makes the world look at the church and go, wow, you know what? They're actually... They're actually forgiving one another. Oh man, look at, they're actually generous towards one another. They're caring about one another. They're committed to one another. Even in the midst of difficulty, transition, and change, they love one another. It's not all about them. They're not fighting with one another constantly. They're not fleeing from one another. So listen, this is our identity, essentially, as a church. This is what Jesus creates. This is what the gospel produces. The good news of what Jesus has done produces not only a changed life, but a changed community now, a family, a new people group, a new community. And so in light of this, here's the question we want to ask. We want to launch out and ask this morning as you guys start to embark on a three-week series called Essentials. We're asking the question then, what is our purpose this morning? What is our mission then? And what I want to do is not so much focus around Free Christian Church's mission statement, which is a, it's beautiful and sexy and awesome, and you should check it out. I can't even recite it. It's that good right now. But what I want to do is look at the church universal. What's the mission of the church universal? What's our purpose for existence? And what we do have to clarify is this, is that not everything done in the name of Christianity is Christian mission. Not everything done in the name of people have deb debated this. 
So some people would say, hey, it's all about, let's just invite a bunch of, bunch of people to church, as many people as we can, to a church service on Sunday. And let's invite, invite, invite. And that's Christian mission. That's definitely a good thing, but not Christian mission. Some people would argue and say, hey, and this is a real popular one in our day and age right now, especially amongst people my age group or younger, is social justice. Christian mission is all about social justice, which is caring for the poor, caring for the weak, reaching out to the needy, doing lots of good works in the name of Jesus. And this is absolutely essential to the people of Jesus, without a doubt, but is not necessarily Christian mission. And some other people would say all types of other things. It's about meeting needs. It's about being a good Samaritan. It's about just being a good person is about mission. But those things in and of themselves, although good, are not mission. So here's the big idea that I want us to chew on for the next few moments together from Matthew 28, and it's this. The mission of Jesus' church is to partner with Jesus in going and making disciples. The mission of Jesus' church, us together, is to partner with Jesus in going and making disciples of Jesus. Now, if you're like anything like me, you track with the, 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 the Nike slogan, just do it. You familiar with that? The swoosh? Yeah? I see like two people not. You with me? You here with me? All right, what are we going to do? We got to jump up? We got to do some exercises right now? Everybody stand real quick. Everybody stand. Come on, stand up. Here we go. Let's do it. Let's stand. All right? Let's do one of these. Ready? Come on. Like this. Here we go. All right? Do a little of these. Don't whack your neighbor in the head if you do. This is where you can practice forgiveness, right? Here we go. All right, sit down. You did great. Awesome. All right, you with me now? All right, here we go. Before we just go and do the stuff of mission, of making disciples, before we just get after it, right? Because I have the get-or-done mentality. You give me a task, you give me a, a project, and I'll just go do it, white-knuckle it and do it. But before we just get to doing the whole making disciples thing, there's a few things for us to observe from Jesus. And the first one is this. This thing does not fall primarily on us to just go and get her done. Look at verse 18 on the back of your bulletin. Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? So right there, boom, time out. Listen, Jesus could say anything he wants right after that. He could say, uh, go and do a bunch of burpees on the middle of uh, this road here, Main Street. Elm Street, what is this, Elm Street? I don't even know, it's crazy, Elm Street, sure. I'm thinking Freddy Krueger now, Elm Street, sorry. <laughs> Jesus could say, hey, go bake a cake, go, go make cookies, go hang out with Martha Stewart, go do whatever. He could say, go do whatever, right? Whatever. The point is, is whatever Jesus purposes to get done is going to get done. Whatever Jesus purposes to happen is going to happen. It does not matter what he says. And nobody else has this type of authority. Uh, government, president, pastors, men, women, children, teachers, uh, police officers, Bill Belichick does not even have this type of authority. Only Jesus Christ himself has that authority alone. There's a story in Mark chapter 5, it's in the Bible, in the New Testament, second book of the Bible, called the Gospels. And in Mark chapter 5, Jesus encounters this man, a legion, which means he had many, many demons, and there were people there trying to subdue him trying to get him under control, but they could not do it. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and because he has all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus, by his mere word, is able to speak and command those demons that were in legion to depart from him and go where Jesus wants them to go. Nobody else has that type of authority. 
Jesus alone has that authority. He came to raise the dead. He came to heal the sick. He came to cast out demons. He came to even command the weather himself. Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. The question is, is for this group of people, you see, there's a group of people that are in Galilee at this, in this text that have met Jesus. Jesus had told them before he died, hey, meet me in Galilee. And here's Jesus showing up to his band of disciples, his band of followers, who are probably confused and wondering and in need of some clarity about, hey, what's the next step here? Where do we go from here? Right? You came and you died and, and, and we don't know what's going on and you're resurrected, but what's next for us now as your followers? And, and there could be some of that question even in this room in some way, shape, or form right now about direction of church or direction of life even. Where do we go next from here? And here's where Jesus directs his disciples, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Here's where Jesus reorients and gives direction to and gives vision to and mission to his people. Go and make Disciples. Now, we can hear the word go, and if you've done the church thing for a little while, maybe you've heard something to the effect of like this. When someone's preached on this or taught this, you've heard, hey, go means pack up your bags and move to a far, far away land, and go and make disciples of the nations, which is a very, very good thing that Jesus might call some of you to do and call some of us to do at some point or another. Maybe it's to go fly a plane somewhere overseas and go make disciples somewhere. And so the idea of go and mission and making disciples is leaving where you're at now and going to a faraway place. Or for some of us, you can hear the word go in this commission, and sometimes you've been taught or instructed that go means I go when the church schedules it. So only when the church tells me to be on mission, and only when the church tells me that we're having an outreach event, or only when the church tells me that we're having some sort of project thing going on that's going to try to make disciples or some sort of program, that's when I go. But in the every other stuff, day stuff of life, Monday through Saturday stuff of life, I don't have, I'm not going. I'm not doing anything. And so go can sometimes mean either one of those things. But here, quite literally, Jesus gets at this. The go means beyond just a compartmentalized schedule or pack up your bags and go far away. Go means as you live your life. As you live your normal routine. As you do what it is you do in the everyday stuff of life. Go and make disciples. And here's where I want to press with you for a few moments. Jeremiah chapter 1, Old Testament. God starts this dialogue with young Jeremiah. And he says this to him in the beginning of chapter 1. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And what we get from God telling Jeremiah is this is that who you are, who you and I are, is no accident. How you've been made, how you've been wired, all your traits, all your little annoying intricacies, right? There's annoying intricacies that I have that my wife will gladly tell you about. She's in the back corner, and she will glad. you just got to go see her right afterwards. Tell me the things that, that, that annoy you about Brian. And there are some things about me just being up here with you during the week, sometimes when I preach, and, and you find annoying, right? And you come tell me. We have annoying things. JP, right? I'm off the hook after today. I could tell you all you want to know about JP, all the annoying things. Let's have a conversation, all right? Just call me up or email me. We can do this, okay? 
We have all these types of different intricacies, but who we are is absolutely no accident. And this is big. Because what this means is that God in his infinite and sovereign wisdom made us, and he formed us, and he gave us specific giftings and talents with all of the differences that we have. All the different things that make up this church. Skin color, tone of voice, sexual identity is all something we have been made in with purpose. Which means this, way back in 1980, when I was in mommy's womb, God was knitting me and forming me and giving me a voice to do exactly what I'm doing with you right here and right now. Now we can debate whether or not this voice is actually helpful to you, right? Because some of you might question that. But in some way, shape, or form, God has been preparing me and forming me and knitting me with the voice to be able to do exactly what he's asked me to do for here and for now. Listen, some of you guys are amazing with your hands, and some of us aren't. Some of us are wicked good with, like, budgets and numbers and math stuff, and some of us just aren't. Some of you cats in here just knock it out of the park with technology, and some of us just don't. Right? That doesn't mean that some are better than or wicked smarter than. It just means we've all been wired differently. But the point is this, is that we've all been made with specific gifts and talents. And that is no accident. So this is all wicked awesome, right? Who we are is no accident. We're all different. And that's not an accident. And, and there's purpose to it. But here's the second thing is this. Where we are is no accident. Where you find yourself in life right now, the neighborhood you live in, the job you're in, the church you're a part of, the people that are around you, is no accident. So who we are is no accident, but where we are is no accident. Acts 17 in the New Testament, Paul is in a place called Mars Hill, and he says this, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Listen to this. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Now if we read this right, and we think about what Paul's saying, and we marry that with what Jesus is saying about going and making disciples. A disciple, by the way, is someone who is following Jesus, who's learning from Jesus, who's trusting in Jesus and his saving work for them, and is now becoming more like Jesus. If we marry those two things together, we can take away this big idea as we seek to be on mission in making disciples for Jesus. And if this, who we are, where we are, and what we do should never ever be meaningless. Who we are, where we are, and what we do should never, ever, 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 ever be meaningless. Because the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, having eternally existed, created this world and everything in it, including you and I, and has wired us. He has given us breath. He's given us life. He's given us form. He's given us substance. He's given us a mind. He's given us hands. Listen, he's even given us eyebrows. Now think about this. Time out, right? I have got caterpillars for eyebrows. Every two weeks or so, I have to trim these suckers or things get crazy on my forehead, right? Some of you guys have amazing eyebrows. Some of you guys don't have to touch them. They're groomed so nice, they're thin, they're just 
wonderful, wonderfully proportionate with your face. Some of us only have one eyebrow, and that's totally cool. No one's judging that. But here's the point, right? In God in creating us, the way he's created us, right? To think when we work hard, sweat pours off our forehead. And what happens when sweat gets into our eyes? It stings, right? God, as he's making us and he's forming us, in his creativity gives us eyebrows to absorb the sweat from our forehead so that this stuff would not get in our eyes and sting us. Everything is all pointing to the glory of God. It's all a signpost to the glory of God. It's all amazing. But even in it, he's determined, Paul says, periods and boundaries of our dwelling place, which means this. Nothing is a surprise to God. You and I may have surprised people in what we're doing, right? Like, my family is probably surprised at me doing what I'm doing, considering the mess that I was and the mess that I still am. How can that guy be a minister? Are you kidding me, right? And some people in here, right, you have that in your life where people are surprised of where you are and what you're doing in your life. But nothing is a surprise to God because God knew it and God determined it a wicked long time ago. And here's what's amazing in light of all of this to consider, friends, this morning as we consider Jesus' commission to make disciples. God determining our places and our boundaries and our times. God determining what I would be doing, where I would be doing it vocationally, where he would put me geographically, who he puts me around and the people I see on an everyday basis should never be meaningless to me. Why? Because there's a bigger story going on in my own little world. God is telling, God is creating, God is making, God is writing a truer and bigger and better story than the one that exists in my own little life that usually consists of complaining and whining and being so turned in on my own needs and wants and problems. You feel me on that? God is writing a bigger story, and it's this. Acts 17, Paul says that they, people all around us, they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him because he is actually not far from each and every one of us. Here's where it gets to. The people around you, the people around me in the Monday through Saturday stuff of life are not far from God. Why? Because you and I are there. If you do the Jesus thing, if you've been trusting in Jesus and you are following Jesus and you would say, yes, I am a follower, a disciple of Jesus, gladly, happily trying to do this thing, trying to follow him faithfully, people in your, in your, in your office, people that you sit next to in a cubicle, people that you maybe ride to work with in a truck, people that you're on conference calls with, people that pour your Dunkin' Donuts a Starbucks coffee as angry as they are when they do it, because you're in New England, you're just north of Boston, so we know that's true most of the time, right? There is a bigger story going on than them just pouring your coffee, or you just being a student in a classroom consuming information, or being at job just collecting a paycheck and just trying to make it through the week so that you can pay your bills. What brings purpose to all of those things, being a stay-at-home mom, being a dad, being in your home with the people around you, being in the neighborhood that God's placed you in, what brings purpose to all of this is that our understanding is this. We have been distinctly wired and sovereignly placed by God in all of these places so that men and women would seek him and find him because they are not far from him because you and I are there. You and I, having been transformed by Jesus and his grace, 
and now having the Holy Spirit indwell us permanently as a resident within our souls, people are not far from God because the presence and the glory of God and the transforming work of grace is in us and is being displayed through us. And so people are not far from the good news of the gospel because you are there. This goes way beyond just our lives. And so here it is. As we live our lives, we live with purpose. Romans, Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And the good news of the gospel is this. There is freedom. There is rest for the soul. There is thirst for the thirsty soul. There is food for the hungry soul. There is healing. There is new life. There is no condemnation. There's no shame. And there's no guilt in Jesus. This is amazing news. If you have tasted and seen the good news of the gospel in your own life, this is good news worth heralding, worth proclaiming, worth putting on, putting, demonstrating to people that you are around in the everyday stuff of life, isn't it? So as we go, we go with joy, the joy of knowing what Jesus has done for us. Joy is the only motivation to us doing this and living intentionally in the everyday stuff of life, seeking to make disciples. It starts with a promise that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and then it ends with a promise. Look at the very last verse there on the back of your thing. Jesus says this, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As I go, as you go, as we go, as we live our lives, and we live out our normal routines with gospel intentionality, looking to make disciples, Jesus is with us. He has not just abandoned us to go and do it alone, but he is with us at our jobs, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces and schools, in the places wherever we are. And so here's what I want us to consider this morning. I want you, FCC, my heart and my prayer for you and for me as we depart from this place today is for us to reorient ourselves around this vision, the vision that Jesus has given us, which is to go and make disciples in the everyday stuff of life. I want you to consider and reorient yourself around the vision that Jesus has given to us, but also around who you are, how God's wired you specially, how God's made you, how God's given you specific gifts and talents and uniquenesses that are unique from other people that are suited to reach and serve and make disciples of people that other people might not necessarily be able to connect with. I want you to consider where God's placed you in this time and season, the neighborhood you live in, the neighbors that surround you, the people at your workplace, the people in your schools, the people that you see pouring your cup of coffee for you every single day, consider who is around you. Pay attention to these relationships and commit yourself to the mission of Jesus. Alan Hirsch wrote this about biblical commission. He says, it's not about simply just proclaiming and preaching and sharing good news with people through abstract concepts about Jesus and calling for a response. He says, this at best is only part of the deal at worst, a shoddy witness and mere salesmanship. Nobody wants mere salesmanship of Christianity, do they? I know I didn't want that. I didn't want just mere salesmanship. But this is what Hirsch says. He says, friendships, 
relationships should be part of the equation as we seek to go and make disciples. We are called to disciple the nations, which means we are committed to a long-term relationship with people that must surely include meaningful friendships, genuine involvement, and compassionate concern for a person's best good. And he ends it by saying this, Christians of all people in the world should know how to be the best friends a person can have because friendship, relationship, lies at the heart of the Great Commission. This is my prayer for us. May God be gracious to us, FCC, and kind to us through this season of life, and may he light up a passion within our souls to go and make disciples in the everyday stuff of life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Love you guys.